The fate of our pre-born neighbors and the future of the pro-life movement will be determined by the Senate races in Georgia. As an act of precaution, Massachusetts and New Jersey both moved to legalize abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. What can you do? I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much much for tuning in today. This is a very important episode because this is a very propitious moment for the country, for the culture, for the founding ideals of this republic, like separation of powers and federalist control and local control that the left wants to completely ruin and dominate in order to gain political power. And so much of that has to do with abortion. It has to do with enshrining their political views of abortion at a federal level federalism be damned the democratic will of the people be damned and we're going to get to that in just a little bit but first if you've been listening to the show and you have benefited from it and you have enjoyed it and it has helped you articulate the case for life and be engaged in the culture consider giving us a rating and review it's really fast and quick it helps us a lot scroll down give us five stars let us know what you think we've been climbing the ratings i mentioned on a recent episode that recently we were actually in the top 65 of podcasts in the news commentary category um, for podcasts. And that's pretty incredible, especially because most people don't listen to pro-life podcasts, right? It's the one issue that no one wants to listen to, everyone wants to tune out of. And so that's really incredible. And we want to reach more people. We want to show up on the charts. So the people who are just kind of checking out politics and other podcasts online will actually see the show, listen to it, and be encouraged, equipped, or challenged if they disagree with us. So go ahead and do that for us. That really helps us a lot. So this is all about Georgia right now. Everything has become all about Georgia because in the incident that Trump does not win re-election because newsflash, in case you didn't know, the media doesn't get to call elections, okay? President, uh, Vice President Joe Biden is not the president-elect and this thing is far from over. And if you've been following any more conservative politics and podcasts, you'll know that these things are going through the courts right now. But if Trump loses re-election and Joe Biden is declared the president and the president-elect, then Georgia may determine the fate of this country. Everything is resting on Georgia right now. And if you don't know that, it's because the two Republican senators, one running for re-election, Kelly Loeffler running kind of for election the first time because she was nominated by the governor a couple years ago because of uh, one of the other senators either stepped down or passed away. Um, Both of these need to retain their seats. And they did not get the total votes they needed to get over the 50% threshold in order to win. So Kelly Loeffler is the Republican senator along with David Perdue. Ralph Warnock is running against Kelly Loeffler and John Ossoff is running against David Perdue, okay? So Loeffler and Perdue received more votes than their Democratic challengers on November 3rd, but did not meet the 50% threshold required to win. So that puts both of their races into a January runoff election. If Trump loses and Warnock and Perdue I'm uh, Warnock and uh, Ossoff win the Georgia Senate seats, then the Senate would be split evenly, 50-50. And guess who would be the one casting the tie-breaking uh, vote? That would be Kamala Harris, the most pro-abortion politician, arguably right now, in America, with a voting record further left than Bernie Sanders. And reminder, Kamala Harris is the sponsor 
of the most radical piece of federal abortion legislation in American history called the Women's Health Protection Act from last year, from 2019. That woman would become the tie-breaking vote in the Senate if Trump loses and Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue both lose their GOP Senate seat, leaving it to Ralph Warnock and John Ossoff. That would be a nightmare for this country because the left and the Democratic Party, but I repeat myself, have made it very clear what their legislative agenda is, haven't they, <laughs> if they get political power of the executive uh, and the Congress. And so for the sake of the unborn, for the sake of this country, it is time for Christians to rise up. It's time for us to engage and put our faith into the public square to ensure that this does not happen. So what exactly would all of this mean? Well, let's briefly just go back to Kamala Harris, right? Many people are not aware of her political history. We did an episode called Kamala Harris Hates Babies, I believe. And you can go back and listen to that one. Uh, several weeks ago, I would encourage you to do that. We went through most of her political history, specifically on the issue of abortion. But just as a reminder of what losing the two Georgia Senate seats would mean for the unborn, I want to tell you what Kamala Harris's Women's Health Protection Act that she sponsored in 2019 would have done, okay? Most radical piece of federal abortion legislation in history. That Abortion legislation was going to cause doctors to lose conscience protections against being forced to perform abortion or aid with abortions. It was going to overturn informed consent laws, such as ultrasound requirements, like showing a woman her baby before she's scheduled to kill it. It would jeopardize parental notification requirements for minors seeking abortions. Oh, uh, you, you think that uh, the grandparents of the child that's about to be murdered should maybe be informed if their daughter is underage? No, no, no. 15-year-old should definitely be able to slaughter their own parents' grandchildren without parental consent. That's what Kamala Harris wanted to do. It would force states to allow discriminatory abortions because many states are successful in banning abortions based off of eugenic reasons, right? So based off of chromosomal imperfections, physical imperfections, sometimes even for race. It would, it would force states to allow this. It would block states from protecting pain-capable babies at 20 weeks of pregnancy, so no more pain-capable unborn child protection acts, and it would override state restrictions on abortion in the third trimester, which according to polling data, only 13% of Americans support the legality of abortion in the third trimesters, in the third trimester, right? So what is that? 87% of Americans don't support abortion in the third trimester. Well, that Democratic Party has left those people and it would not even allow states to ban abortion in the third trimester. Okay, so that's just what Kamala Harris's most radical piece of federal abortion legislation, the Women's Health Protection Act, would have accomplished. And this is the woman who would be casting the tie-breaking vote in the case that we lose the GOP Senate seats in Georgia, leaving the Senate at a 50-50 tie. Kamala Harris has voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, so she's condoned infanticide. She's promised to overturn the Hyde Amendment, which keeps federal dollars from funding abortion through Medicaid reimbursements, and is responsible for saving over 2 million babies. She would institute pre-clearance guidelines for states that want to pass pro-life laws, so she has to agree with the type of pro-life legislation they want to pass. She would expand the size of the Supreme Court. She would make DC a state, getting two more Democratic senators and probably a permanent majority in the Senate. She would abolish the filibuster so those pesky pro-life Republicans can't stop Democratic senators from passing radical abortion legislation. She was the one behind prosecuting and attacking undercover pro-life journalists who exposed Planned Parenthood in their illegal trafficking and sale of dead baby body parts, all the while receiving massive campaign donations from Planned Parenthood, the very ones being exposed for their illegal activity. That's who Kamala Harris is. And if things really go south, that's the woman 
that is the woman who would be ensuring that the sacrament of abortion is forever protected in our constitution, targeting those who seek to protect the unborn. So this is very, very important if I haven't overstated my case. Ralph Warnock is one of the Democratic challengers running against Kelly Loeffler. And Ralph Warnock is a Georgia megachurch pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta and was recently asked by Tim Bryant of an Atlanta Atlanta radio station how the pro-choice views of the Democratic Party square with his role as a minister and a, quote, man of God. Okay, you ready for this? So this is a man who is a pastor of a megachurch. I think there's over 9,000, maybe around eight or 9,000 members of his church in Atlanta running for a Senate position as a Democrat which the Democratic Party, of course, being more radically pro-abortion, anti-God, anti-liberty, anti-freedom than any other time in our country, right? I'm fond of saying that 1950s Democrats would today be MAGA Republicans. No joke. Not hesitant Republicans, MAGA Republicans, okay? That's how far that Democratic Party has gone. And here was Ralph Warnock's, a, a, I believe, a black pastor's response to how his faith squares with the party of abortion and infanticide. He says, quote, I believe that healthcare is a human right. And I believe that it is something that the richest nation in the world provides for its citizens. And for me, reproductive justice is consistent with my commitments to that. All right. So already he's begging the question, right? He's assuming that abortion is health care. He starts with health care. Then he just assumes abortion is health care and equates them as the same. So circular reasoning. He hasn't made his case. But of course, he calls abortion what that ridiculously failed presidential candidate Julian Castro called abortion, which is reproductive justice is actually just to tear the limbs off of preborn image bearers who were created in the image of the savior that you believe in and that you believe you serve who entered human history in a womb. He says, reproductive justice is consistent with my commitments to that. I believe unequivocally in a woman's right to choose. Choose what? Choose their healthcare provider? Choose their husband? Choose their schooling? No, no, choose to pay a hitman to kill their child. And that that decision is something that we don't want the government engaged in. Well, they would be engaged in it because they're protecting it and forcing me to fund it. So they are engaged in it. What he means is not engaged in telling children, uh, parents, they can't kill their own children. He says, I've been focused on women's health, women's choice, reproductive justice. That is consistent with my view as a Christian minister, and I will fight for it. Right. Well, scripture tells us that even Satan masquerades as an angel of light um, and that those who serve him are serving their real father the father of lies, the lion who prows, roars, prowls around looking for people to devour. That is obviously who uh, Ralph Warnock is serving. And Planned Parenthood endorsed Warnock in May. So wonderful. So while both Loeffler and Purdue have 100% approval ratings from the National Right to Life Committee, Warnock and Ossoff have been endorsed by the National Abortion Rights Action League. That should tell you everything you need to know. According to Life News on November 12th, Purdue and Loeffler both have a 100% pro-life rating from the National Right to Life Committee. Purdue, who has served since 2015, voted in favor of the Paying Capable Unborn Child Protection Act, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, and the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Loeffler, who took office earlier this year, also co-sponsored and voted for the Paying Capable Unborn Child Protection Act and the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, of course, initially sponsored by Ben Sass from Nebraska. So literally millions of babies of millions of babies lives are at stake in these Georgia Senate runoffs, including the future of the pro-life movement and whether we'll even be allowed to function in a legislative manner. 
right? I, I've gone through everything that Kamala Harris would do with political power, and I'm not strawmanning her argument, right? I mean, these are things that she has said that she would do if she gets vice presidential power, right? If her and Joe Biden are successful in winning the White House. This would forever put a legislative stop to the efforts of the pro-life movement, which we know have been successful in saving millions of babies as we continue to work incrementally towards the total abolition of abortion. Well, we won't even be allowed to do that in any meaningful manner if Kamala Harris gets the reins of power, which of course will probably immediately be turned over to her because we all know that Joe Biden is not fit for office and so does his own party which is why Nancy Pelosi has been trying to utilize, I believe, the 25th Amendment to get more political power in the Senate to declare that the president is not mentally fit to lead. But of course, we all know that that's not referring to Trump. That's referring to Biden so that they can immediately get Kamala Harris to be declared president. That's sort of the quiet part that no one's saying out loud right now. And that woman with political power would rep would be to unborn children what Hitler was to the Jews. So this is what's happening right now. This is why Georgia has become so important. Of course, we're going to continue putting prayers and effort behind the Trump administration and taking these very election shenanigans activities to the courts to ensure that only legal votes are counted. But if Trump doesn't win, then those Georgia Senate seats become more important than ever. According to Nicholas Rowan on November 10th at the Washington Examiner, Mallory Quigley of the Susan B. Anthony list said this is an all-in must-win battle for Georgia. Uh, the group, the most influential anti-abortion voice in the Trump era, plans to reach about 1 million people and spend $4 million to keep Loeffler and Purdue in office. And although the SBA list, Susan B. Anthony list, did not previously have ground teams in the state, it plans to build them quickly to cover as much ground as possible before the January runoffs. But abortion rights groups are hitting back hard, too. They recognize the propitious moment that we are in and the importance of these Senate seats. And they are often more committed to death and putting people who love death into positions of political power than the church and Christians are to helping people of life, whether they're born again or not, helping Republicans who are going to defend life in some manner get into political power to be able to preserve life. So according to the Washington Examiner, pro-abortion rights advocates have also sensed the importance of the Georgia races, with NARAL Pro-Choice America and Planned Parenthood raising the cry among abortion activists to turn out the vote for Democratic challengers Ralph Warnock and John Ossoff. The campaign is not new ground for Planned Parenthood, especially. The group in 2017 dumped more than $800,000 into an unsuccessful attempt to get Ossoff a House seat. So this guy's run before. NARAL this year plans to use its ground team of more than 50,000 people to continue its fight against Loeffler into the runoffs. The group spent more than a million dollars in the race and is ready to spend more, said President Elise Hoag after Election Day. President Elise Hoag of, of um, NARAL Pro-Choice America. She said, we must do everything we can to make sure anti-choice politicians know there is a political price to pay for throwing women and families under the bus, she said in a statement. Oh, man, you just can't make up the irony of choice, can you? Throwing women and families under the bus, full stop, you're a pro-choice activist, full-time career woman. It's only the pro-choice movement that throws women and families under the bus. You remember abortion rights activist groups suing Louisiana earlier this year for trying to pass a bill that would require abortionists and abortion clinics to meet all of the same regulatory, ambulatory surgical center standards that every other surgical center has to meet. 
right? It was just saying this bill's not going to necessarily seek to reel back abortions or put restrictions on abortion. It's just going to say if you're pro-choice and you say you're all about women's health care, right? Abortion is health care, they say. Well, if you're about that, wouldn't you want to ensure that the women you claim you serve, abortion patients, are getting the same level of care and health that – Every other patient receives who receives any other form of surgery. That's all this bill said was that abortionists have to have admitting privileges at a local hospital, just like every other ambulatory surgical center in the state of Louisiana. So if something happens to the woman during the abortion, she can be quickly admitted to a local hospital, have her records transfer, have the information told to the hospital as to what happened to her so they can more quickly and promptly care for her. That's it. And abortion rights groups sued over that. They sued over that, went to the Supreme Court, and John Roberts, that fake conservative, stabbed the pro-life movement in the back and in so doing babies in the back at the same time by, by saying that that was unconstitutional. Okay, and we just continue to have evidence of this, of how the abortion movement does not care about the health of women. In fact, they're willing and eager to compromise the health of the very women they claim to serve in order to maintain what? In order to maintain abortion access, right? When Texas tried to do this in 2015, require abortionists to have admitting privileges at a local hospital, abortion rights groups came out and said, oh my gosh, if this gets passed, if this gets passed, over 50% of abortion clinics in Texas will be closed because they won't be able to meet those health standards, well, maybe that should raise a red flag about how crappy your industry is at health. And when the Supreme Court ruled against that, they did so in large part to ensure that women weren't placed with an undue burden. What would be the undue burden? Uh, less abortion clinics to choose from because so many of them can't meet the health regulations that the law would have required. <laughs> so the abortion rights group, abortion rights groups in the industry are regularly eager and willing to compromise the health of women. But Elise Hogue of NARAL Pro-Choice America tells us that it's anti-choice politicians, meaning pro-life people, who are throwing women and families under the bus. Oh, spare me. Not to mention the children that they literally throw out of their mother's wombs into trash cans as they pay third-party people to wheel the children away in hazardous it's waste containers, okay? There's only one person and movement throwing women and families under the bus, and it ain't the pro-life movement. So if Trump loses and Warnock and Ossoff are elected, what would happen? Okay, worst case scenario. I know, it's not fun to talk about. Trump loses, and both GOP Senate seats are lost to pro-abortion hacks in Georgia. What would happen? Well, the first thing that the Democratic Party would want to do, as they have control at that point of the executive and the um legislative branch of Congress and the White House is they're going to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, the ERA. Maybe you've heard about this, right? The Equal Rights Amendment has been a longtime dream of radical feminists and pro-abortion hacks since, I believe, the 60s. And it would amend the 1964 Civil Rights Act to also protect sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. And it defines sex to include, quote, pregnancy, childbirth, or a related medical condition. So what would that mean? Well, that would mean if you tell someone, I'm not going to kill your baby because it runs against my moral beliefs or my religious beliefs, you could be sued for discrimination because sex is now going to be redefined to include pregnancy as well. Unbelievable, right? And of course, this would absolutely destroy religious freedom in the country as well, um, which you can find great information from, from National Review, from Susan B. Anthony List, and from many other conservative think tanks. Because it would tell churches that if, for example, they move to fire a pastor who changes their 
gender identity or their sex lifestyle to begin cheating on their wife, sleeping around, having sex with men, that if a church moves to fire him because that runs against the their statement of faith, their religious beliefs, and the ethical standards that pastors have to sign and abide by, that those churches could be stripped of their 501c3 status and sued for discrimination and maybe thrown in jail because those are civil rights now. We've redefined civil rights to include sexual orientation and gender identity. So this equal rights amendment would completely train wreck religious liberty, but it's also a Trojan horse for abortion rights. Not because I say so, but because the allies of the legislation say so, okay? The allies of the legislation know that this would give them nearly everything they want on abortion, okay? According to the National Organization for Women, right, here on their website, here's what they say. An ERA, an Equal Rights Amendment, properly interpreted, could negate the hundreds of laws that have been passed restricting access to abortion care and contraception. Okay, the National Organization for Women, NOW, is one of the most radically pro-abortion rights groups in the country. So the allies of the legislation are like, I'm pumped on ERA. I I know that this would give us everything we want. Of course, Nancy Pelosi has come out and said, no, the ERA amendment doesn't have anything to do with abortion. Well, then why are the allies of the legislation so flipping excited about it? NARAL Pro-Choice America, in a statement that's now been taken off their website, but which you can find quoted many other places online, say here, with its ratification, the ERA would reinforce the constitutional right to abortion by clarifying that the sexes have equal rights. Of course, that would mean the right to abortion, which would require judges to strike down anti-abortion laws because they violate both the constitutional right to privacy and sexual equality. Oh my, if this doesn't tell you how obsessed the left is with sex, I don't know what else to tell you, right? Sexual equality now means the right to murder the products of sex. Well, that's a doozy for sure. So they're very excited about it because they know that this would essentially give them all that they need to permanently shut down the legislative efforts of the pro-life movement. And this is what is waiting for us in a worst case scenario if Joe Biden wins the White House and we lose those GOP Senate seats in Georgia. So what else would happen? Well, they're going to overturn the Hyde Amendment, right? I told you they're going to expand the size of the Supreme Court. They're going to make D.C. a state, adding two more Democratic senators, abolish the filibuster, institute preclearance guidelines, and codify Roe v. Wade into federal law. That's what would happen in a worst-case scenario. And where is the church? Where is the church? Silent as always. The sleeping lion in our country who, if he woke up, could advance righteousness in ways we haven't seen since the Great Awakening. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution by Adam Carlson in September of 2016, they covered a Gallup poll, okay, a Gallup poll, that showed that Georgia is, quote, in the top 10 states for weekly church attendance. 39% of Georgia respondents attended church weekly, according to the Gallup's daily tracking from January to December of 2014. I mean, that's pretty incredible, So Georgia is in the top 10 states for weekly church attendance, meaning that they should be one of the top states where we see the church and Christians who hold Judeo-Christian worldviews, such as that life is intrinsically valuable from the moment it's alive, from the moment it's human, from the moment of conception, that our Savior entered human history in a womb, 
and all womb dwellers, unborn humans, are created in the image of that prenatal Christ. So therefore, who else would have the kind of theological and philosophical firepower they need to drive them out and to act, to put boots on the ground, to engage in the culture wars, to promote righteousness and restrain evil? And yet Francis Schaeffer nailed it when he said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Abortion is happening with the permission of the church. And the same people who justify the church's silence on the abortion of the lambs are oftentimes the same pastors and woke Christian leaders who insist that slavery happened with the permission of the church, that the Holocaust happened with the permission of the church, because the church was complicit in doing nothing, because there's no such thing as moral neutrality. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. And so abortion is happening with the permission of the church. And the church won't do for good what the other side is so eager to do for evil. I just told you everything that abortion rights groups are doing with manpower, boots on the ground, and money to put behind ensuring that people who love abortion become senators in Georgia, forever endangering our unborn neighbors and stalling all of the progress of the pro-life movement. But the church is asleep again. And we're not seeing any major turnout of churches, Christian leaders, megachurch pastors in Atlanta to get their congregation involved, to volunteer, to max out to the GOP senators to ensure that life wins in January. This is the stinging rebuke of the church, is the deadly silence of the shepherds on the abortion of the lambs. And we're going to get to more of that next as Massachusetts and New Jersey work to enshrine abortion rights in their state in case the presidential race and Senate doesn't go the way they want. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the culture wars, the abortion wars, and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. That really helps us. We're beginning to reach more people. I told you we're climbing up the ranks in the podcast platforms. More people are listening to the show. And as you support the show, you enable us to reach more people because we want to move to permanently doing two episodes a week. And we want to begin creating different types of bonus content, right? Where we're on the streets and we're on university campuses and we're filming these conversations and interactions, creating cognitive dissonance in the minds of young people who have never thought deeply about these ideas and showing them that the right to kill unborn human beings cannot be confined to the womb. Any argument you offer in the justification of killing unborn humans can also be used to justify killing born people as well. We want to reach people with these ideas and then create viral content to expose those ideas and those conversations to American citizens and to young people who will take up the reins of this republic. And so, listen, Greg Cunningham once said that there are more people working full-time to kill babies than there are working full-time to save them. That's because killing babies is very profitable while saving them is very costly. All right. And the abortion rights movement makes a ton of money on killing babies. And the pro-life movement doesn't make much money at all. But the money we do make is made through donations in order to pour back into ministry. So we need your help. Check out our tiers and the perks you get along with it. Go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in and for staying tuned on these important events. Are you convinced yet that this is a propitious moment, <laughs> that something is going on and it demands involvement from the pro-life movement and from Christians who ought to be indistinguishable from pro-life activists? But 
while we tend to sleep through these propitious moments that ought to function as a call to duty to protect our unborn neighbors, the other side is very aware of the everything going on. They're very aware of what's happening in our country and the importance of them being on the front lines to attack the unborn and those who seek to protect them. And so Massachusetts and New Jersey have moved to legalize abortion through the entire pregnancy, through all nine months of pregnancy, because you see, they recognize that if things go south for them and Trump is reelected and we win both Senate seats in Georgia, right, that we're going to see more pro-life legislation, more wins for the pro-life movement, more protection of the unborn, more reeling back of a woman's reproductive health care, whatever that means. And so they're moving at a federal level or at federalism, sorry, at a state level, meaning federalist, in order to protect abortion in their states. And so according to National Review, Wesley J. Smith writing on November 11th, the Massachusetts legislature may vote next week to expand the right to abortion through an entire pregnancy, a measure to be placed in a budget bill. Classic. If passed, the bill will permit post-24-week abortions to protect the life and health of the mother. And if the fetus has a serious disabling or terminal condition. But notice that virtually anything and everything can qualify for a legal post-24-week termination, including psychological, familiar, or emotional factors. And we've talked about this with you, right? With Roe versus Wade and his companion case, Doe versus Bolton, those cases together allowed and legalized abortion through point of birth. And even though pro-life legislation at state levels save many pre-born children, if a woman wants to get a late trimester abortion, even in a more pro-life state, she need only pull the health trump card. No pun intended, right? It's my emotional health. It's my psychological health. I'm stressed out. I got in an argument with my husband. I'm not feeling good. Therefore, I need a nine-month abortion. And because the abortionist or the quote-unquote physician, the doctor of death, is the one who determines whether her definition of health is acceptable, he will always accept her definition because he's the financially incentivized individual who will be making money on the killing of a late trimester baby. But listen to the kind of language, of course, that they use here. This Massachusetts bill would allow post-24-week abortions to protect the life and health of the mother. Biggest lie in the abortion rights movement. The biggest lie that the abortion industry and abortion rights groups have successfully implanted into the minds of the American public and young people is that sometimes, but sometimes, abortion is necessary to save the life of the mother or to protect the health of the mother. It's BS. It's a total lie. It's a fantasy. It's a fiction, right? Because if there is a risk to the mother's life because of a pregnancy. Here's a question. Is abortion the only way to end pregnancy? No. What would be the other way to end pregnancy? Uh, childbirth, inducing early labor, or a cesarean section. And by the way, that's safer for the mother. Abortion is not safe. That's why the cervix remains shut until the baby is ready to be delivered. There's a reason for that. That's how God made it, right, if you're a Christian. That's, that's the natural way the woman's body is created. So, of course, it's unsafe to have a third trimester abortion, to have any abortions, to stick forceps up your birth canal after your cervix has been forcibly dilated. So even if the mother might die or will die with the continuation of the pregnancy, there's another way to end pregnancy. Induce early labor, perform a C-section, remove the baby, give the baby as much time with mom as possible if the baby can't be saved, though you should try to save the baby. And you haven't intentionally killed the child through an abortion and you saved the mother's life and you've done it in a safer way than an abortion would, right? So this is ridiculous, of course. Abortion is never necessary to save the mother's life. You can go to the Dublin Declaration if you'd like. Go Google the Dublin Declaration signed by over 1,000 healthcare workers, doctors, 
embryologists, neonatologists, OBGYNs, all saying that abortion is never necessary to save the mother's life, okay? But then, of course, Massachusetts says, or if the fetus has a serious disabling or terminal condition. Oh, so eugenics. So there's something wrong with you, so we'll kill you, right? That's what that means. A terminal condition also doesn't warn the killing of the child, just like being told that your four-week infant who was born four weeks ago has a terminal condition would not justify slitting your infant's throat, right? You can provide palliative care, care for the child. If, if, if they truly cannot survive, give them as much time as possible, work to save their life. And if not, you don't directly kill them. But that's what this bill is saying. saying if the, but if the baby won't live anyways, uh, maybe it's moral to just rip their arms off their body in the late trimester in their mother's womb. So this is what's going on in Massachusetts. Lovely. According to WBUR News, Matt Murphy writing on November 9th, the amendment to the annual budget bill was filed by Representative Claire Cronin, an Easton Democrat and the co-chair of the Joint Committee on the Judiciary, which faced its own deadline of Thursday to make a recommendation on a bill known as the Roe Act. Cronin filed a version of the Roe Act as Amendment 759. It would strengthen abortion access laws in Massachusetts, but making abortion explicitly legal in state law and allowing for abortions after 24 weeks in more than just cases where the life of the mother is in jeopardy. The amendment also spells out a legal process for young women under the age of 16 who can't or don't want to get the consent of a parent or guardian to petition a judge for an abortion. There you go, right? These people hate children. They hate um, minors who are technically children, and they want to make money on them as people underwrite their abortions, and the minor gets a judge to sign off on the abortion so they don't have to ask their parent if they can kill their parent's grandchild. Okay, that's translating euphemistic bigotry into reality. The legislation have been under consideration since the session started in 2019, but listen to this, but picked up momentum following the confirmation of conservative justice Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court last month. Hmm, what does that tell you? It tells you that Massachusetts is recognizing the propitious moment that they find themselves in. They're recognizing that there's a threat from pro-life legislators in the pro-life movement in the Trump administration who have nominated conservative justices and conservative judges to the circuit courts who will stall the efforts of pro-aborts and allow the efforts of pro-lifers to protect the unborn. And so they go, uh, excuse me, they go, uh, oh, crap, we need to do something. There are, there's an attack on women's reproductive rights. We need to do something to protect abortion. The other side seems to be more aware of political realities and responding to those realities by engaging the political work necessary to attack the preborn than Christians and the church are to engage in the political work necessary to protect the unborn at a very propitious moment. But it's not just happening in Massachusetts. It's happening in New Jersey who is also moving to enshrine abortion rights through point of pregnancy. And do you know when we really saw all this stuff begin to pick up? Do you remember? January 2019, Andrew Cuomo, Reproductive Health Act, who up on the stage with Hillary Clinton said, the reason we're doing this, the reason we're legalizing abortion through point of birth in New York and lighting our tower pink to celebrate the color of Planned Parenthood, though it should have been red of the millions of unborn children's blood that Andrew Cuomo has on his hands. And he said, the reason we're doing this is because... Trump's Supreme Court appointments, which might threaten Roe versus Wade. So the left understands the political threats to abortion, while the church is silent on the political opportunity to protect the unborn. And so New Jersey is taking the lead of Massachusetts and of New York and of Virginia with these reproductive health acts. According to Live Action News on November 11th by Cassie Fiano Chesser, last month, New Jersey lawmakers introduced a bill that would permanently enshrine abortion as a right in the state. 
created as a response to the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the so-called Reproductive Freedom Act would not only protect abortion within the state, but would also do away with virtually all restrictions. Okay, so abortion for any reason or no reason at all. Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey announced the legislation, which he crafted with the Senate Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg and Assemblywoman Valerie Huddle as a move to expand health care on his website. In addition to making abortion a state right, it mandates that insurance covers both birth control and abortion with no out-of-pocket cost. Finally, it removes what it labels medically unnecessary restrictions on abortion, which it considers a fundamental right. So no restrictions on abortion whatsoever, stalling the legislative efforts of pro-lifers in New Jersey and making abortion, codifying Roe v. Wade in, into state law in New Jersey. According to the bill's text, here's some of what uh, Phil Murphy and the abortion activists in New Jersey are going to do. Pregnant individuals should be able to make their own healthcare decisions throughout the course of their pregnancy with the advice of healthcare professionals they trust and without government interference or fear of prosecution. Uh, according to the Live Action News article, the text later defines pregnancy as the period of the human reproductive process beginning with the implantation of a fertilized egg and states, quote, a fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus shall have not have independent rights under the laws of this state, Right. So like the Democratic Party has always said, some humans aren't persons and we can define them out of existence. The bill invalidates New Jersey's existing conscience clause, which according to Live Action News, protects individuals who refuse to commit or assist with abortions. Religious organizations would be allowed to opt out of the insurance coverage requirements, but the state will create a fund specifically to reimburse the cost of abortion and birth control for women who can't afford it meaning New Jersey taxpayers will be paying for abortions. Lovely. According to the bill's text, non-physicians will be permitted to com commit abortions, with the bill only mandating that those in healthcare professions serve as abortionists. In the bill, a healthcare professional is defined as, quote, a person who is licensed or otherwise authorized to provide healthcare services, including but not limited to a physician, advanced practice nurse, physician assistant, certified midwife, or certified nurse midwife. So they're just expanding how many people are allowed to kill babies in the womb, which will what will lead to what killing more babies in the womb. And lastly, the bill allows minor children to undergo abortions without parental knowledge or consent. Something tells me the left is not like children born or pre-born. So listen, whether it's in Massachusetts or New Jersey, the left fully understands the political threats to abortion that are in place and the damage to the abortion industry that another four-year Trump administration would mean, which has been the most pro-life administration in American history. Both Massachusetts and New Jersey politicians admit enacting their state abortion legislation as a response to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, right? Churchill once said, when great forces are on the move in the world, we learn that we're spirits and not animals and that something is going on in space and time and beyond space and time, which spells duty. But it seems that the bride of Christ won't respond to their father's call of duty while the serviles of Molech, who is a manifestation of Satan, are more than eager to respond to their father's call. And we all know who their father is, don't we? Remember what Jesus says in John 8, to the Pharisees. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We understand that we all serve someone, right? You cannot serve both God and money. 
You cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. But the left is more motivated to protect their greatest sacrament, abortion, from the eventuality that Trump is reelected than the church is to engage in possibly the greatest opportunity to end abortion in the last two decades since Planned Parenthood v. Casey, one of the greatest political opportunities we have in a constitutional republic where we the people have political power to use that power in a way to vote for righteousness, to protect preborn image bearers, the only class of human beings that it is still currently legal to kill. But like in Gethsemane, the people of God are asleep in the garden on a cush, comfortable mattress, sleeping away while our savior or unborn children created in the image of that prenatal savior are being targeted. You remember who was awake and animated and activated and doing his father's bidding while the people of God were sleeping in Gethsemane. It was Judas who was serving his master. Unfortunately, today we seem to be repeating the same mystique, mistake that the people of God did 2000 years ago. The, those who are attacking the innocent are animated, activated, and engaged in their father's work. While Christians are sleeping in the garden and saying, I don't want to harm my witness. I'm not political. To not be political is to be political, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer might say. It's time for the church to get off the bench, to get our boots on the ground, to engage in the political work necessary at a politically propitious moment, to advance life, to help end the slaughter of the only class of human beings that it is still currently legal to kill. So what can you do? Well, if you have the means, max out to Loeffler and Purdue in Georgia, max out to their political campaigns. If you're in the area or you want to fly out, uh, reach out to the Susan B. Anthony list and volunteer to get involved in Georgia. If you have connections in churches or youth groups or conservative groups in Georgia, let me know. Hit them up. Encourage them to do something. Fly me out to speak at any gathering of Christians or conservatives to make the case for the pro-life vote, to vote for the only senators who will protect life, liberty, and property. Let's do something. It's time to wake up. It's time to pray. It's time to stand. And it's time to vote for righteousness and restrain evil. Thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps us. It really does. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for training videos, for my speaking schedule, to subscribe to my newsletter, to get more information. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Unaborted. <laughs>